really cool stuff at the back, and so does Matt. They have some books, and they have some CDs. Robin wrote a book called Mystical Moose Tales. I can't even believe that. Mystical. It's pretty good. You said it was good this morning. You've changed your mind on it. Awesome. Well, hey, why don't you guys, uh, why don't you welcome Robin? Let's just give him a round. Come on. Thank you. Actually, I was thinking about my book earlier. I was thinking about something C.S. Lewis said. How many familiar with C.S. Lewis? Heard of him? Um, C.S. Lewis said that your reason is the organ you use for truth, but your imagination is the organ you use for understanding. And that's why I wrote an imaginative book about the supernatural to give people more understanding. And um, I think uh, often, I think, well, not often, but sometimes I think about uh, trying to tell the truth. Um, there was a Latin phrase that they used to tell Christopher Columbus back in the mid-1400s. It was, ni plus ultra which means no more beyond. They said, if you go out there, you're going to fall off the edge of the sea. And he didn't believe them. He said, no, there's something else out there. Well, there is so much available in the spiritual realm for Christians. and um, But you don't go after something you don't believe in. and And you... You are the sum total of your belief structure. It's that simple. If you want to go beyond where you are, you've got some new believing to do. And I don't mean necessarily some strange weird thing, but you have to be stretched to get beyond where you are. How many of you really just, and you could be happy where you are, but how many of you want to go beyond? You want something more? That's me. That's me. And um, so I have a real hunger all these years you know for the supernatural i'm actually i'm a fifth or sixth generation reformed presbyterian and uh, as i mentioned earlier today i didn't fit in their ranks that well although i honor and respect them absolutely presbyterians absolutely amazing but it's just not not who i was so i had actually my forefathers came from scotland pre-revolutionary war to um, really celebrate their their reformed Presbyterian faith and they were pioneers they were willing to leave everything they were comfortable with to come to a new nation because they loved Jesus and they wanted to practice their faith in ways they weren't restricted so that's my awesome genetic stock and um there, there's no more new territory in the world, so if you're going to be a pioneer, you've got to explore the realm of the Holy Spirit. You've got to, um, you've got to understand that there's more to God than this little bit we've heard about and gotten. And talk like that makes people nervous, and I know it does, and I frankly don't care. You know, I'm unapologetically hungry for God, and 
I'm not willing to live. Now, I'm not talking about being new age. I'm talking all of, about all of this in the confines of being an Apostles' Creed believer. But I, I grew up in a church that didn't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. They, they said they did, but they didn't. I mean, who would say, who, who would, what church says they don't believe in the Holy Spirit? gotten quiet in here. I want you to think about something. If you had walked with Jesus for three years, he had been your primary tutor in spiritual things. You, you saw him do miracles. You did miracles. You know the apostles did miracles when they walked with Jesus? Very clear from the scripture. He did miracles. You did miracles. He walked on water. You got out there a couple steps anyway. You walked on water. He died, broke your heart, but then he was raised from the dead. You were afraid, so you had your door locked, so he had to walk through the wall to say hello. It's a story, John 20. Then, for 40 days, he taught you on the intricacies of the kingdom of heaven. Don't you think you'd be qualified to be a minister of the gospel? They weren't. They weren't. Not until Pentecost. Now, let me tell you this. Frankly, there are a lot of people that don't go after the presence and power of God the way we find it in the New Testament, and they do not have the same level of training those guys did, and they think it's enough. Matt, I could have sworn people were here earlier. <laughs> I know you're thinking, but I'm just giving you my perspective. Um, if guys that walked with Jesus for three years needed to get filled with the Holy Ghost, they saw miracles still needed to get filled with the Holy Ghost. The resurrected Jesus that could walk through walls and yet was still a solid person could cook them fish and feed them, and yet they still needed to be empowered in an extraordinary, personal, demonstrative way. I'm not backing up. I don't care what John MacArthur thinks. I ain't checking with him. I admire him for what he's done, but he ain't right about this stuff. What, is the, what do they say, 200 million Christians in America? Have you heard that before? Something like that? Let's just say 100 million. Let's just say 100 million. Let's cut it in half. If there were 100 million Christians in our country, don't you think it would be a little bit different than it is? Something ain't working, ladies and gentlemen. 100 million real Empowered believers. Let me just jump over here. You know, every time a Savior is about to be born, the devil tries to kill the children. Have you ever noticed that? It happened when Moses was born. It happened when Jesus was born. Have you ever wondered why so many babies have been killed in our nation? It's because there is a Savior generation that is already born, that the devil can't kill. 
There's a generation being raised up that are going to believe the Bible. He can't stop what God wants to do. He can't. He, maybe he can prolong it. He wants you to back off of your real belief structure. Like I mentioned this morning, if he wants to mess with your destiny, he'll try to muddy up your identity. But it's ultimately it's not going to work. It's not going to work. For the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. There's a lot of water covering the sea. Yeah, I, I'm not believing in um, everybody duck and run because the devil's getting big. How about that verse that says, uh, you know, here's a good one. <laughs> How about that verse that says he's going to have a bride without spot or wrinkle or any such thing? Has that happened yet? No. How about the one in Ephesians where Paul says that you might know the four dimensions of the love of God? He says height, depth, length, and width. So he's talking about an extra dimension we don't have. But he says you can know the love of God to the degree that you're filled with all. Somebody say all. Accidentally say it. All the fullness of God. See, Adam's talking and, and has sponsored uh, a love fest this weekend to talk about the love of God. The end result of knowing the love of God is being empowered with all his fullness, which makes no sense. How can a person have all of God's fullness? Sense is not working, ladies and gentlemen. Your reason fails you when it comes to the reality of God. You know, all these people upset about God's this way, God's that way, God's the other way. Man, if you could understand God, you would be God. And so it's not likely that unless one of you here are God and I haven't been informed. So, <laughs> okay, this is uh, really... Really awesome. So let me do this. <laughs> Turn to the book of Leviticus. Not really. Go to the book of Genesis. <laughs> I could hear the whole atmosphere go. <laughs> Leviticus. <laughs> We're going to read seven chapters tonight out of the book of Leviticus. Genesis chapter 45, verse 23. This is in the midst of the story of the restoration of Joseph and Jacob, his father. If you know the story, Jacob's brother, uh, Jacob had 12 sons and um, the brothers were jealous of Joseph so they sold him into slavery. They told their dad he was dead. 
So for 22 years, they thought he was, his dad thought he was dead. The brothers did too, actually. But not only was Joseph not dead, he was alive and Lord of all, Egypt. Who does that sound like? You know, there are 80, 80 common characteristics between Jesus and Joseph when you analyze their lives. The one that they thought was dead was not only alive, he was Lord. And so we jump into the part of the story where Joseph has met his brothers again. He finds out his dad's still alive, and he's making this reconnection. And so here's what we find, verse 23. And Joseph sent to his fathers these things, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt, ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food, for his father, for the journey that was going to be from where he was to Egypt to where Joseph lived, verse 24. So he sent his brothers away, and they departed, and he said to them, See that you do not become troubled along the way. Joseph realized his brothers had an inclination toward being troubled. They had that history with them. Verse 25. Then they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob, their father. And this was the first time Jacob had heard this. They told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and he's governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. He could have had a heart attack. He could have fainted. The words there are pretty strong if you really look into them through um, other word study means. Jacob's heart stood still. Say that with me. Jacob's heart stood still. Why? Because he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. It's the first time the word revive or revival is mentioned in the Bible. Let me read that again. When he saw the wagons, when he heard the words, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. Then Israel said, well, who's Israel? Well, that's who Jacob is when he's in faith. Same person. You know you're two people. You're that common, normal, ordinary ignoramus you've always been. And then when you're in faith, you're like that Superman. I mean, you went from Clark Kent to Superman. Come on. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You ever felt invincible at times? God speaks to you. Suddenly you're convinced of something and you're energized. You're infused with power. You know why you feel invincible? You are in a certain regard. Jacob suddenly is revived when he believed the words of Joseph, type of Jesus, and when he saw the wagons Joseph had sent him from Egypt. And so he says this, it is enough. He could have said, it is finished. That's what Jesus said on the cross 
when he had done absolutely everything necessary for us. He said, it's finished. It's perfectly perfect. It's completely complete. Everything they ever needed, I have now provided through my death. That's what Jesus was alluding to. It hasn't really struck the church yet that God doesn't really need to do anything more for us. We just need to locate and learn how to enter into what he's done. So Jacob says, it's enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Now, the lives we live as believers, if we're going to be honest, they're sort of up and down. How many would you agree with me? One day you're doing pretty good. The next day you're wondering which ends up. Anybody know that life? I mean, I've been 40-plus years, and I get that. Because we really are involved in a warfare that pretty much takes place between our ears. It's, it's really a warfare that's thought-induced. I want to be too stupid to worry. It's one of my goals in life. I'm close. <laughs> when you worry, you're basically saying you're smarter than God. Well, you can't be smarter than God. Right. That's the point. Why are you worried then if you can rebut my very public, bold declaration? Awesome. You go to places... You drop bombs of wisdom or insanity or something, and you look at people that are looking at you. So you don't get it. You're looking at me. I'm looking at you. I'm seeing that look on faces sometimes that I'm going, these people, some like me, some go, mmm, kimasabi. <laughs> me not so sure. And I'm looking at some people and I'm going, hmm, kimosabi. I'm not so sure either. But the glory of it is tomorrow I go home. <laughs> Having left springtime behind me, as I often do. Anyway, moving right along. I was in Alexandria, Virginia several years ago, and you'll understand this statement. I was going to preach in a conference, and I was getting my brains beat out. Anybody understand that phrase? Nobody? Oh, gee. That's not common in Kentucky. I was being inundated with demoralizing and depressing thoughts and feelings. Brains beat out. Say brains beat out. <laughs> Means being demoralized with whatever I said I can't remember. I was thinking, what am I doing here? What am I going to say? And I had to speak like three times. Now, you would be surprised at how often that happens to preachers who are called to do certain amount of traveling and speaking. 
It's almost like your job description. Robin, here's what's going to happen. They're going to invite you. You're going to come. And when you get there, you're going to feel like not being there. And then you're going to wonder why you're there. And so you're going to have to break through that because I've sent you there. And you want them to be happy that you were there. So I was there. And I was thinking... I feel so bad. What am I doing here? But I knew I was supposed to be there. So I thought, I have two options. I can continue being buffeted in my mind, or I can go on the attack. How do you go on the attack? Here's where I go on the attack. Five in the morning, I say out loud. Somebody say out loud, out loud. Out loud. You know, there's a point where the devil does not care much about what you think until you start saying something. Then he hopes you think something negative and confirm it. But I have seen over the years, he is afraid of me. If he weren't afraid of me, why does he try to intimidate me? And so I said out loud, five o'clock in the morning in my hotel room alone, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty whose evil foe cannot withstand him. I will say of the Lord, he's my refuge, he's my fortress, he's my God. On him will I lean and rely, in him will I confidently trust, for surely then he shall deliver me from the snare of the fowler and the noisome pestilence. I thought, my, that feels better. (laughs) So I did it again, out loud. Or I could have been there thinking it. Doesn't work. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty, whose power no evil foe shall withstand. I will say of the Lord, he's my refuge, he's my fortress, he's my God. On him will I lean and rely, in him will I confidently trust. For surely then, surely then, he, then, then when, then when I say. For surely then he'll deliver me from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. Then it goes on, though a thousand fall at my right hand and no, Though a thousand fall at my side and ten thousand at my right hand, it shall not come near me. There are eleven thousand and one people on the battlefield. Everyone dies but you. Psalm 91. That's extreme. So I'm feeling really feisty at this point. I'm in my bed, I'm, I'm lying down, speaking out loud like some kind of complete knucklehead. And I look up at the ceiling, and there's some kind of an air shaft hanging down in the room I hadn't noticed before. This is the uh, supernatural portion of the meetings, just beginning. <laughs> and so I realize if I can jump up in there, I can go right into the heavens. So guess what I do? 
How did you do that? I have no clue. Did you really do it? I don't know. But as I was going through the second heaven, I heard demons say, Hey, stop that. You can't come through here. And I was laughing at them. You know why? I was going through there and I had speed built up. And then, bam, I'm in the heavens. And I'm going, this is odd. Because I'm under like a 12 or 14 dark wing. And I'm thinking, gosh, I thought angels' wings would be white and everything would be real bright. And, uh, but I knew I was in the right place. Felt good. Well, see, I had just been prophesying out loud that the secret place, it talks about being under the wing of the great eagle. That's what Psalm 91 is all about. And so I found myself under the wing of the great eagle. And when I looked at the wing, we're not taking up an offering, right? Okay, so don't be suspicious, ladies and gentlemen. But underneath the, coming out of the wing were chunks of gold, silver, platinum, and precious metals I didn't recognize. I mean big chunks, cubes. And they would just come out. And then I saw precious and semi-precious stones like the size of baseballs or grapefruit coming out of the underside of that wing. I don't mean they were appliqued. They were coming from that being. Have I stretched anybody too far? So, I mean, everybody okay? Just shake your head and that bad thought will go away. Just, no, see, you need to say, I like this guy. I know I like this guy. I'm almost, I'm almost there with him. I'm almost liking him. No, just shake your head a little bit and ignore I struck a pose there momentarily. So I'm under this 14, 12-foot eagle's wing in the heavens. And I'm thinking, I'm confused. I'm thinking, oh, I thought, I didn't know what, it, I, didn't know what I was doing there. All I knew is I uh, got aggressive in my faith and I got sucked into another dimension somehow. Now, the truth was I was two places at the same time. Do you believe in being two places at the same time? You have to if you're a Christian. How many of you are Christians? How many of you are seated in the heavens with Christ Jesus? How many of you are here tonight? No. Don't mess with me. Listen, don't be messing. Listen, I've spent years looking at this stuff. And I'm going to tell you something. A guy with an experience is not subject with a guy with an opinion. And I'm a guy with an experience. Let me be so bold. I'm not playing. I'm having fun, but I'm not playing. And so the Lord gives me five wagons of spiritual substance to bring back. And he told me, the complete understanding of those wagons you'll find in the story of Joseph 
and Jacob and their restoration. When Jacob saw the wagons Joseph sent him, his heart did what? Revived. If I ask you this question tonight, let me see what your answer. What is Egypt a type of in the Bible? I know this is a trick question, and I know that's why you want to answer it, but act like it's not a trick question and tell me what you think. Egypt is a type of what in the Bible? The world. Okay, let's analyze that momentarily. What is a lion a type of in the Bible? Well, God or the devil. Lion of the tribe of Judah, that would be Jesus. Or Satan goes about as a roaring lion. Okay, what's my point? My point is pictures in the Bible, their meaning is determined by their context. And there's no biblical type that is absolute. They're types. They're word pictures to give you insight, confidence, and hope into who God is. That's what they are. They're word pictures. They're word pictures. Tonight, I'll show you Egypt. Well, let me ask you this. Who is Joseph a type of tonight? The one that they thought was dead was not only alive, he was Lord. Jesus. So Jesus, Joseph, is sending valuables from his dimension to his dad's dimension from a place of ultimate unimaginable plenty to a place of poverty and need. Egypt, in this context, is a picture of heaven. Joseph, a picture of Jesus. The wagons he sent that which would revive his father, bring him out of a 22-year depression and put him in the finest area in all of Egypt, Goshen. And so the Lord's telling me, I want you to take these wagons back and release them to people. They're keys to revival. How how many of you are interested in this? Keys to revival. Wagons of blessing. Okay, you are ready in the back there with wagon number one? A wagon of deliverance from what? Why wagon? Well, these wagons had spoked wheels. And you pulled it with the tongue of the wagon. Spoken wheels. Tongue. Anybody got tongue? It's hard to talk without your tongue. But your tongue tastes and talks, right? The first wagon was a wagon of deliverance from deserved consequences and circumstances. You did the wrong thing. 
I think I've said this before right in this building. Do you remember me saying this here before? You don't. It was another building. It was not here. Do you know what grace really is? That's right. You did the wrong thing for the wrong reason. You're in a mess. You deserve to be in a mess. And Jesus says, well, hey, I'll get you out. Anybody up for that? People in this room tonight bought a house for the wrong reason. They're in debt up to their neck. They don't know how they're going to get out. And in the back of their mind, they're thinking, I deserve it. Well, you do. Or you're in some relationship or something. You're in some kind of a mess. And the Lord says, I'll get you out. Anybody interested in that kind of God? Get you out of what you deserve? Deliverance from. I just did five television shows with Rick on these wagons. He was telling me, Robin, I think this is one of the most major revelations I have heard in the last number of years. This is huge. This isn't some bozo from the Carolinas screaming. God is saying, you have messed up. Your nation has messed up. Your government has messed up. You're getting what you deserve. But I mean to deliver you. Hello? Anybody happy about that? God will give you whatever you will not pay for. But man, the Bible belt doesn't get that. All right, wagon number two. Read that with me. Wagon of deliverance from criticism and critical spirit. Whether you knew it or not, this morning I was dealing with some of that when I was telling you God wants to identify you. Because people have said things to you that have wounded you. Most people are in that boat. Maybe there's some who aren't. I haven't, haven't met them yet. But uh, People have described you in a lot of ways. A teacher in school, where well, you're stupid. A coach, you're no good. A disappointed parent. You know, I was t- telling um, Candy and Double Ray. <laughs> Dr. Ray. <laughs> the last meaningful conversation I had with my dad, he cried over my insistence on who I was as opposed to who he wanted me to be. Then he had a heart attack and died. I am eligible to be scarred for life. (laughs) I'm eligible. It doesn't mean I'm signing up. I have been. But I've got a daddy who really likes me. I mean, my dad liked me, but his dad made him that way. I don't know how it works, but he said, Son, I want to send you to seminary. And I said, No, I'm going to be an itinerant preacher. And he started crying. 
Now, this wasn't some lily-livered, pasty-faced, pitiful old man over there crying. This was the youngest head coach to take a major college team to a bowl game. When that man, that's the only time I ever saw him cry in my life, and it had to do with he was so disappointed in his boy. And it hurt. But I did not let him, God bless him, define me. I mean, there's been struggles. But God wants to deliver you from criticism. God wants to break off of your life the power of negative, evil, confining, destructive words so that you will stop using negative, evil, destructive words against those people around you because hurt people hurt people. How many of you have ever been criticized and it hurt? Not you? Wave your toe. Wave in faith. Just agree with me. Help me here. Giordano. I know you have. You're awesome. Where'd you get that watch, man? Oh, I gave it to you. Okay, I remember now. I was... <laughs> That's really bad, isn't it? Bad boy. <laughs> I promise to be better. That's what I tell my mom in school. I didn't make straight A's. I will next time, I promise. I didn't know I was ADD. I wasn't going to study. I need some medication, mama. <laughs> I'd be looking at that book and it don't make any sense. A, B, C, D, E, F, 4. Comedy. Spelling test. Robin, comedy. Comedy. Like comedian. Comedy. You have to say it, spell it, say it again. Comedy. C-O-M-I-T-E. Comedy. How many of you have seen that uh, a commercial where <laughs> this... <laughs> this farmer gets up and he's going to spell cow, but apparently he's not a good speller. So he says, he walks up to the microphone. Your word's cow. Cow. Says it twice. Cow. C-O-W-E-I-E-I-O. <laughs> Dag nabbit. <laughs> but God wants to deliver you from that. One of the reasons people are messed up is they're critical. If you quit criticizing people, your life would change. But if you've been criticized, you're just in this mess. How many of you know? You're in this deal. Next wagon. Wagon of hope. Well, I'm in too deep. I'll have to tell you this story. I woke up one morning on the left-hand side of my body, and I was looking right into the eyes of a man named Hope. And he had a big smile on his face. And he said, hello, I'm going to be your new best friend. His name was Charles Hope. Charles means free man. And the Lord told me it was asexual. I mean, just bed was rest. You know, there was a message in that. Charles means free man. And the Lord said he's a rogue. Do you know what a rogue is? An uncontrollable individual 
Do you know we have a free man named Hope who claims to be our new best friend that nobody can control? How would your life be if you had, and hope is not a hope so, a wish so, gee, it might happen. No, biblical hope is a confident, just say confident, but say confident confidently. Confidence, expectation of good. Biblical hope. That's better than I hope so. Real hope says, I've got something good coming, and it's coming soon, it's going to be awesome, and I know I don't deserve it because I'm a bad person. But it's coming, I'm going to get it anyway. Welcome to the world of a believer, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, but brother, um, if you teach that, don't you think people will take advantage of God? I'll give it a shot, see how that works for you. Yeah, he's too stupid to know what you're doing. He, you know. Come on. None. Of, listen, Adam gave me this message this afternoon. Said, "Memorize this. My people need it. This is not mine. It's Adam's. Not really. A confident expectation of good." You wake up in the morning. Okay, it's like the little boy. He'd been bad all year. Christmas morning. His, he, he runs out, looks at his stocking. No stocking. His brothers and sisters got some cool stuff. He's got nothing. He was going, oh, this is suspicious. And his dad says, son, here's your Christmas present. Gives him an old shovel and sends him out to the barn. He goes out to the barn opens the door and there's three feet of horse manure and his dad says you need to go shovel that son you know what hope says I know there's a pony in here somewhere <laughs> confident oh let me mess with you what if God determined to give you whatever you wanted your enemies to have. That's biblical, ladies and gentlemen. You need to start really not criticizing people. I have chapter verse on that. Judge not lest you be judged, for in the same measure you judged, it will be added unto you. Confident. What do you expect from God? Confident expectation of good. Richard, you've got rich in your name. And I don't know what ard means. But But I'm confident. (laughs) There's something really good about it. Rich Ard, what's your last name? Fogler. Fogler? Are you related to that real important Fogler? No? (laughs) Is there a real important Fogler? You? Come on, Richard. Bam! I'm going to put a little bam on Richard. Who wants Richard to get some bam tonight? 
you know Richard? Bam! How you doing, Richard? 98.6. He's still alive. Okay. Confident. Confident expectation of good. Do you know what that means? I'm going to sell a million Mystic Moose tails. I'm going to leave all my kids a minimum of a quarter million dollars inheritance. Well, what if you're wrong? Well, I'll be happy being wrong. I'll be confident. Oh, you don't deserve that. Awesome. That means I'm going to get it. If you see that scripture where it says of Jesus, they hated him without a cause. The literal is they hated him freely. It means that Jesus gave them no reason to hate him. Same word is in having been justified without a cause freely with the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You did nothing to deserve the salvation, the deliverance, the healing, the prosperity, the goodness, the kindness of God. You did nothing. It's been given for no reason. You gave God no reason to love you. Nothing inside of you gave him that reason. But he knows you're of high value and he loves you freely. For no reason. I mean, not like for some reason. Okay, let me see. I brushed my hair really good. Haven't cussed all week. No, 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 no. No, you're, you're, you're frustrating the grace of God. He, he just wants to bless you. I'm sorry to tell you this. <laughs> he just wants to. <laughs> My goodness, I've got people looking at me like, I don't know about this. Please know about it. <laughs> Please. I'm not sure you're right. I am. I am right. I haven't spent 42 years to miss the fundamental truth of the gospel. Whatever you're willing to not pay for, he's willing to give you freely for the glory of his great name. But the backside of that is when you're critical of people, you're actually taking credit for being better than them is the reason you're being blessed. And see, you're right back in that same mess. God wants to deliver you from being critical and from having been criticized. This, these four females here, on the second to the last row. Why don't you stand up? Yeah, stand up. I, I just see the favor of God all over you. I see the kindness of God all over you. In some cases, you're not who they said you were. In other cases, the Lord is imparting like this brand new sense of purity. 
Free gift, free gift, free gift. But I just proclaim over the four of you, I don't know if you even know each other, but I just proclaim over you the kindness of God, the mercy of God, the favor of God. I break off of you in the name of Jesus what they said. They were wrong. They were wrong. And I release to you by faith the grace to forgive, the grace to love, the grace to not take personally things done to you personally. Now breathe that in by faith. Just take it in. Just take it in. This is crazy. It doesn't make any sense. But sense ain't working, so do this. Breathe that in. Breathe that promise in now. Take a deep breath. Take it in. Take it. Take it. Take it. Take it. Take it. Take, take, take. Take it, take it, take it. Take it, take it, take it. Somebody help me. Say take it, take it. Take it, take it, take it. Take it, take it, take it. Take it. Have some. Have some. Have a little, have a lot, it's up to you. Heaven ain't broke. Have a little, have a lot. I like putting my feet on, brother. No, I know that's my hand. I was talking about him. Take it, take it. Receive. How you doing? Good. I really like you, and I don't even know you. Because you're awesome. Now, you, <laughs> I like you too. It's getting hot in here, isn't it? Yeah, you know why? Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. We're having an experience tonight. Yeah, I did bring it. You take it. <laughs> Tell me to bring it. I'm a bringer, but you got to be a taker because you can lead a horse to water, but I ain't drinking for you. Come on. Bring it, brother. I brought it. Drink it. Eat it. Believe it. Or look at me like a calf in a hailstorm and hope I'm gone in the morning. But I'm not going to be. Bam! Have some Bam! You two know each other? You're smiling brilliantly at this young man. He's under there somewhere. There he is. Awesome. Extend your hand and say to this young man, Awesome. Receive some awesomeness. In the name of Yehusikampashi, Jesus. Went into tongues momentarily there. This is not an apology. How you doing under my hand there? It's awesome, isn't it? You're under the shadow of Almighty Junior. <laughs> this guy's all, what's your name? Good answer. <laughs> Isaiah, the Prince of Prophets. Bam. Historians say Isaiah was cut in half. They put him in a hollow log and cut him in half. How would you like that departure into the realm of glory? You know why I think that happened to him if it did? He prophesied, when you get anointed, you can change your name. 
he said in the anointing chapter, they should be named, called, named, priest of the Lord. What's wrong with that picture? What's Isaiah doing changing the whole priesthood in one sentence? Antagonizing the whole religious community. Robin, what are you talking about? You had to be a Levite to be a priest. And here's the prince of prophets, one of the songwriters of Israel, predictive prophecy, imaginative poetry that rings down through the ages to this day, wife's a prophet, relative to the high priest, familiar with the king on like a first-name basis, and he stands and he says, God is so wonderful, he can make you a priest in a second. So they put him in a hollow log and cut him in half. Richard? (laughs) I hope they don't have a log your size, young man. No, that's the majesty of God. God just wants us to hope. Be filled with hope. Be a hope lunatic. Just be a rabid... Make Joel Osteen look like a junior varsity hope man. (laughs) That's what happened when I I couldn't get my knee healed and people I was praying for got their knees healed. I just went on over into hope. I said, this is awesome. This makes no sense, but I sure am enjoying not getting healed like I should be getting healed. But this is awesome. And I just kept on going, just praise God, got happier and happier and had an operation and just, well, brother, you didn't have enough faith. Yeah, all right, give me a little. I'm, I'm good, I'm good, I'm open. Give me some faith. Well, brother, you didn't have enough, of course. Whatever. What? I don't care. So what? I don't care. I don't care what people are saying for the most part. I must I keep saying it, but you know what I'm doing. You know what I'm saying? you got to have enough hope that people can't mess with you. You're not going to make it? <laughs> yeah, well, I've already made it. Is this the best you are? Might be. I don't know. No, i got hope. The Lord told me a year ago, I had a, a vision of a gun safe. Anybody around here know anything about guns? Kentucky? Man, everybody in Kentucky shoots at something. Gun safe. And I'm looking at this gun safe, and I open the gun safe, and I see this box in there. And I said, Lord, what's that? He said, oh, that's your destiny. It was safe the whole time. I'm almost 63 years old, and i got destiny. I'm going to do some awesome stuff. What? I don't know. Just awesome stuff. I'm going to go cool places and say wild things and I'm going to stir people up to believe God on a new level. They're going to go places and do wild stuff. They're going to quit being depressed. They're going to find that God's bigger than they thought, that loves them more than they knew. I have a terminal illness called joy. I recommend it. Next wagon. Wagon of provision. God's got a lot. Let's say that together. God's got a lot. 
Do you know how God releases his a lot? By asking you for your a little. And if you believe he has a lot, you give your a little. And he gives you more. And that's kingdom. That ain't Kentucky, but it's kingdom. I've got so many stories. I had kids in college and I was preaching. I was trying to figure out how to pay my bills. I've been in this house about 12 years and I told my wife, I said, hey, I know what we're going to do. She said, what? I said, we're going to take $1,000 out of home equity and give it away. She said, we are? I said, yeah, this will be awesome. So I asked the Lord where to give it. He says, why don't you give it to Bob Weiner? So I give it to Bob Weiner, this radical faith nut. It was at a New Year's conference. I give him a check for $1,000. And I'm, don't give me money tonight. Come on. I'm serious. I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for you. I'm serious about this. I give the man $1,000. Four o'clock in the morning, the Lord wakes him up and says, give Robin $2,000 back and tell him it's seed for the sower. So he gives me $2,000 back, and I give that away. And then the Lord gives this rich guy a dream. In the dream, he writes me a check for $10,000, which he did, not knowing anything about what I had done. And when I took it home, when my wife heard the words of Robin and saw the wagons, her heart stopped. She said, is that real? I said, it'll spend, you watch. We were trying to uh, pay off a property, I don't know, gosh, 30 years ago for the church. And the pastor said, why don't we do this? How many of you in the room will agree that any money up to $1,000 you get in the next 12 months over your normal income, some sort of a different or supernatural non-working way, you'll give that to help us pay off the church. I said, I'm in. I was making $700 a month, eighty what is that, $8,400 a year. I said, I'm in. So something happened, and I wound up with 250 bucks. I gave it to the church. Then a guy came, Richard, a guy came up to me and said, the Lord has told me to buy you a car. Now, I was a traveling salesman just beginning to make a little bit of money, and I had an old Nova that was so messed up, when you push the, the button to get in the car, it would go down in the door. And that ain't that good when you're driving up to sell somebody something. They're looking at what you're driving. They're going, I don't know I'm buying anything from you. So I thought that was a great idea. Yeah, let's buy me a car. So he took me to a dealership, and he said, pick one. And I went over there in my old 74 Nova. He said, pick one. And so I picked a brand-new Monte Carlo Carolina blue with a sundial 
Landau roof, sun, blah, blah, blah. Landau roof, half vinyl, leather. God, it was so nice. I was so broke I didn't have money to put gas in it. And I traded my car to help him out. So after the deal was done, the agent, the car salesman, comes with a check for $700 or whatever it was, um, $750, I think it was, and it had my name on it. And I wanted it to go to the guy that bought the car. And I said, no, here, this is for you. I'm just going to trade this old crummy car, and it'll help you with he said, the Lord didn't tell me to trade cars. He told me to buy a car. That was the difference in what I had promised the Lord. Except I got a car out of it. Provision. There's some keys there. Next. A new vision for the United States. Here's what I believe the new vision for the United States is. You see it in Goshen. Goshen was the best of Egypt. And that's what Pharaoh told Joseph his family could have. See, the father was telling the son in this picture, I want the best for your family. God wants the best for you. Do you know what God does in times of famine? The opposite. And, you know, I'll be honest with you. When people do not believe in prosperity, I scratch my head. God has amazing wealth that he wants to give people to help them. Can you really? To help them. I, I, don't, I don't want a tightwad God. I don't have one. Now, I'm, I'm, you know, I know this is, people have all kind of trouble with it, but come on. We need enough resource to stick wells in Africa. You need enough resource to educate your children. You need enough resource to take care of your family. You need a kind of blessing that will so set you apart from your culture and your tradition that people will have to say, I know that guy, that's got to be God. Adam's dad's like an awesome character. My dad was like an awesome character. But he wasn't the kind of awesome God's calling me to be. He didn't see it. You've got to see the goodness of God. You've got to see the largeness of God. Why would he not want one of the most remarkable churches in the United States to be right here in Campbellsville, Kentucky? Because it ain't big time. Why not? Why not? Why not? Why not? Why not? The most awesome church in America, Campbellsville, Kentucky Vineyard. Second most awesome, right behind Queen City Church. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, I'm believing God for the kind of blessing where people shake their heads and they say, I know this guy. There has to be a God. 
Who wants that kind of relationship with God? Or do you want to get what you're working for? All right, let's do this. Everybody stand up.